This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Shavua Tov and welcome everybody to a rainy and cold Johannesburg. It's getting into everybody's, everybody's bones. Um, but I guess welcome. We shouldn't complain with um, pleasant rain that doesn't cause too much destruction. And uh, a very special day today. We're all standing on edge watching how our fellow Jews in Israel are going to the vote. And to see, hopefully, hopefully that uh, this time will be the last time, even though I heard some commentators on um, Israeli uh, radio saying that it's a joke. Ah, if you can't make it this time, don't worry. There's another one in a couple of months' time. Well, we'll uh, hold our breath and see what the outcome will be, and hopefully there will be resolution. I actually find it quite marvelous, I've got to say. I'm not marvelous in that it's amazing, but I marvel at how a country just continues running, or maybe it's not running, maybe some Israelis can tell me otherwise, without a government. (laughs) It's been a year, you know, kind of like the boss, the CEO leaves town and um, the place still runs, so it can't be completely ineffectual. Um, and uh, we wait now for for those results. While we're waiting, we're going to continue learning Torah, continue bringing Mashiach, continue doing mitzvahs. And as always, we are looking into the book of Genesis, which really tells a lot about who we started, how we started out as a people with our forefather Abraham. And uh, we're at the point of, of chapter 18, verses 22 we're going to go through a, a, a couple of them. Um, and this is actually um, the argument now that, that Abraham brings um, in order to try and save God from destroying Stom and Amora, that horrible, horrible place that we discussed about last week um, that had very uncomfortable um, familiar behaviors that we have today. Um, nevertheless, let's look at what Abraham says and let's just understand uh, some things and maybe take off a little bit of a tangent on just some interesting ideas that are woven in the verses. So Abraham entertained those three three angels. One came to heal him. That was the um, angel Raphael. Michal came to tell Sarah, that she would be having a kid the next uh, year. And then Gabriel, the angel of fire, gets up and he sets his eyes on Sdom. And God goes and tells him um, that he's actually dispatched his angels to go and destroy the place. Verse 22 of chapter 18 reads, Vayifnu mishamha anashim, the men turned away from where they were, v'yelchu stoma. They headed towards Sodom. But Abraham Odeno Omed Lifnei Hashem, Abraham was still standing before God. What does that mean? It means that the divine presence was in Abraham's house and uh, he was still having communion with him. Vayigash Abraham, Vayomer Ha'af Tispeh Tzadik Im Rasha. Abraham comes forward and he says, um, God, actually going to wipe out the righteous along with the wicked. Now, um, it says that first he, 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 um, he began arguing with God, then he begged God, finally he resorts to prayers, and then he starts the very, very famous um, uh, discussion with God about how can you destroy the righteous with the wicked. 
He says in verse 24, Ulai yesh chamishim tzadikim betochayir. What happens if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Would you still wipe it out and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people inside? It would be sacrilege for you for, for, to um, ascribe that to you. Um, to allow the righteous and the wicked to have the same... Same mishpat. It would not, it would be terrible, it would be a, a chilul Hashem, it would be a, a, a desecration of God's name to ascribe this to you, for you are the judge of all earth, not acting justly. So God replies back to him, If I find 50 righteous people, mitochair, Within the city, I will spare the entire place for their sake. Vayan Abraham, we're on verse 27 now. Vayan Abraham, Abraham answers, Vayomar, and he says, Here I have begun to speak to my Lord. I'm just dust and ashes. But suppose, I am dust and ashes, but suppose they are missing from the 50 righteous, say, will you destroy all the city because of five? Um, and God says, Okay, Abraham, I won't destroy the city if there are 45 wicked people. Vayosef od ledaber elav. Avram continues to speak to God. Vayomar, and he says, "Olayim tzaron sham arbaim." What happens, God, if you only have forty? Vayomer lo ese ba'avur ha'arbaim. I will also not act. Um, I will not destroy for the sake of forty. Vayomer, and he says, "Alna yichala adoni." Don't let my Lord be angry. God, don't be angry with me. What happens if you only find 30? God says, well, I won't do anything either if I find 30 there. Vayomer and he says, Have I begun to speak to, 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 to my God? Um, what happens if you find 20? And he says, God says, I won't um, destroy it if there were 20. Don't get mad at me. I'm going to speak to you just once more. What happens if you find 10? God says, I will not destroy even if there are 10 tzedekim. Well, the first really practical lesson we can learn here, do you see why Jews are so argumentative? There is a dominant gene that runs in the genome of the Jew. Where, you know, if somebody has something, we will negotiate up or down. We will make sure that we get the best deal in town. And this is, in fact, what Abraham did. He negotiated from 50 to 45 to 40 to 30 to 20, all the way down to 10. And as we know, 
that um, there was no, there were there weren't even ten tzaddikim um, that could be saved, and that was the end of that. And we see in verse thirty-three, Hashem kila ledaber el Abraham Abraham God leaves. Um, him, he leaves, he leaves when he's finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. So we can see that God went back on high, Abraham went to his usual place, and basically, um, he, he had lost the negotiation because this place of Stom and Amora were, were, were so decadent, so bad, that, um, even Abraham couldn't save them from destruction. <laughs> This is Mystical Text with Abel Kazilski. Right, we're back with our Chumash and understanding what Abraham, Abraham's negotiation, and I don't really want to get too deeply into why he started with 50, then 45, and then 30, then 20, then 10, other to perhaps learn besides the art of negotiation and trying to get a good deal quote-unquote, I won't tell you who that's from, um, but to understand that that God does listen. You know, when I was learning all of the, and reviewing these verses um, in preparation of the radio show, I was thinking many, many people feel that God is very stringent, he's, he's, he's really full of justice, and, um, you know, is very, very strict in, in the way that he meets out judgment. And in truth, you can see from this entire dialogue between Abraham and God that God is very long in coming to a deliberation and is happy to give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, and this is something that we need to incorporate into our lives, that when we do see punishment and we do see what we, we perceive as negativity into our lives, we are actually seeing the kindness of God because surely as God deliberated with Abraham on the, 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 the people of Stom and was willing to forego the destruction of an entire city for a handful of people, um, so too God is um, very merciful and takes long to come to a point of saying, sorry, busters, but, you know, I, I need to met out the punishment. Probably similar to the way that a parent will try many, many avenues um, in disciplining the child until eventually you have to, for the kindness of the child, put your foot down and say, I'm sorry, but now there is a, um, there is a, a punishment or there is a consequence for your behavior because I've tried to change your, you many, many times. Love to know what you think about that. You can SMS on three four five one nine, Telegram on O six one eight nine five one oh one nine if you want to chat personally. The studio number is O one O one four O three O two O. But in discussing all of this and just seeing um and understanding Abraham's negotiation, the question is why did he stop at ten? Okay. Now, really, if you go look at the discussion, there were five cities that were going to be destroyed. And our rabbis go and tell us the reason why he started with 50 was that he was hoping to find 10 for each city. 
Um, when he was going with nine, and i.e. he was asking for 45, he himself would want to be counted as the tenth man in each of these cities. And so what we can actually go and see over here is that Abraham was, was, was pretty clever in his calculations as to why he was asking those numbers. But I want to zoom in to the number 10 because the number 10 in Judaism plays a huge part um, in many, many things. But in this context, what I think Abraham was looking for, I don't think, I'm told, I've learned, wrong word, I'm told and I've learned, is that we're looking here at the power of praying in a minyan, in what we call a, congreg- a congregation of ten men. We know that when we go into the synagogue, unless we have a minion, there are certain things that cannot be said. Kaddish cannot be said. The Torah, re- Torah reading cannot happen. Certain parts of the prayer book cannot be said unless we have a group of ten people. And it's very, very interesting that, and the question is asked, why? And really, what what pertinence does it has? So we are told that when a person prays alone, um, all his deeds, good and bad, um, are are examined on high. When you stand alone in a court of judgment, you are alone, and you are scrutinized. Um, it's not the best place to f- put yourself in, because say you don't do too much good. Um, you're in a bit of trouble if if you've got the other side of the scale weighing down um, completely. But the Torah goes and teaches once you enter into a minion, into a group of ten men, you're the ninth, okay, what happens is is that the communal power of good deeds and and righteousness stands in your favor as well. And even if one or two are are sinners amongst the ten, God will not reject the worship of the entire congregation. Okay? And therefore, we know that it's far more powerful to, A, be part of the minion, and, two, to pray in the presence of a minion. And when I was thinking about this concept, um, I remember many, many years ago, um, I was dealing with 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 a a, uh, a company that wanted to get their people onto a medical aid, and very interestingly, um, there were one or two individuals that had applied, particularly individually, to the medical aid, and because of certain um, illnesses and certain things that had happened to them, the medical aid was very very happy to take them on, but were, were loading them. Um, because of their pre-existing conditions. And then somebody came along and said, well, you know what, why don't we get the entire company onto the medical aid? Um, um, and that was done. And interestingly, the two individuals that were pretty ill and had pre-existing conditions were treated the same as the eight healthy individuals or 15 individuals that came along. And when I asked the medical aid, well, why are you doing that? Well, they said it's, it's scalability. When you see a group of people, um, you know, the, the figures go and tell you that you, if you have 10 ill people and, and two only come with pre-existing, that it's still a profitable thing because essentially the eight healthy people will um, fund 
any shortfalls that the guys with pre-existing conditions have. Well, similarly, now we, we can see with um, the negotiation, Abraham is trying to find a group of people whose righteousness is big enough to uh, to hide or to compensate for the negativity and the bad behavior of the rest of the crowd. Sadly, he's not successful. But this brings us to the idea of a minion and that when we pray in a minion, the cumulative good that comes together with ten souls is far greater than if an individual prays himself and therefore um, it is a far better, uh, you'll get a far better result if you do daven in a minion. So that is why we um, pay so much importance to having a minion. So all you guys out there know that you really, really count, and it's really the soul powers that you bring together. Very interestingly, we know that we have ten soul powers ourselves. We have three intellectual and seven emotional, um, known as the ten spherot. And when ten people come together with the ten spherot, we have the power of a hundred spherot, a hundred basically packs of energy coming together, and that has the ability for um, for our prayers to be answered in a far, far more favorable manner. In fact, we are told, King Solomon says in Proverbs, and I'll just tell you the English, it's Proverbs 14, if you want to look it up, um, verse 28, in a multitude of people is the king's glory. And on that verse, our rabbis come and teach us that even though God does have many, many angels, he, has, he actually has millions of angels who sing with him every day, he has more pleasure from the prayers that are said of the Jewish people in a minion. And interestingly, and this is where we're going to go on now, to the Amen and the Kaddish that is said when we do have a minion. And I'd like to take a tangent now and describe and discuss the idea of saying Amen, the idea of saying Kaddish, because those two are, are pretty central wherever you are on the continuum of, of um, being connected to your Judaism. Um, it is a well-known fact amongst even the most unaffiliated um, that Kaddish is something that we say, um, particularly when we are saying it um, for someone who has passed on, but there are other um, Kaddishes that we say in the prayers, and the answering of Amen. Now, so let's, let's take the answering of Amen first so that we know what Amen means and says. And I want to tell you an amazing story. Okay, um, we're told that one should be very careful to answer Amen at all times because Amen is like the signatory. It's like the signet ring, the stamp. What does Amen stand for? It stands for Kel Melech Ne'eman, that God is the true God. Okay, um, and when we say Amen to something, when a person gives a blessing or we hear a prayer in Shul and we answer Amen, what we are saying is almost as if we are stamping um, our, 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 our signatory ring on whatever is being said and saying this is true and correct. And um, some say that saying amen is greater than actually saying the blessing. And 
Today we know that it is a custom, and I've run quite a few myself, of having our main parties where we get together, we take the, the seven different types of blessings that we have on food and fruits and vegetables and everything that we eat, and each each one of the blessings are connected to a spiritual source um, in our lives. And when people come together and the blessing is made and everybody answers amen, you are strengthening, you're amplifying the power of that that um, blessing. And at the same time, when we are saying these blessings at these amen parties, we have people in mind who need, whether it is children, whether they need a refuah, they need a healing, or they need panosa, they need livelihood, or it is whatever they're looking for a shidduch. And I have seen with my very own eyes in the amen parties that um, I have I have run and have been part of that many, many times we see unbelievable miracles. People who have struggled with children have children. People who are sick um, have a turnaround. And this is not only in saying blessings, but more in the power of the Amen. Let me share with you a very, very interesting story that is found in the Gomorrah. It's quite a lengthy, lengthy one. But a fascinating one, nevertheless. So the story goes as follows. Uh, there was three rabbis, Rabbi Chia, Rabbi Abba, and Rabbi Yossi. And they were traveling, and one time they, they, they came to a, an, an inn, and they stayed with a, a certain man. Now, Rabbi Chia, Rabbi Abba, and Rabbi Yossi would have the custom to wake up at midnight to study Torah. This was an unbroken custom. Okay, that they never, ever, ever stayed in bed after the night, even for a short while. So they got up, and I guess they gathered themselves in the little dining room of the inn in order to study. And the host's daughter woke up, and as a good uh, innkeeper's daughter, she kindled the lamps for them, and she decided, well, since she was awake, she might have listened to what these guys were having to say, and she... um sat nearby listening to their words. Rabbi Abba began the lesson from a verse in Proverbs, Kiner mitzvah v'tayrah or, that the commandment of, that a mitzvah is like a lamp, and that Torah is light. And he began to expound that when a person keeps the commandments of the Torah, every mitzvah becomes a lamp for him in the world to come. And every time a person studies Torah, it acts as his light in the world to come. And then he continued to elaborate that just as the lamp is no good without light, and the light cannot exist without lamp, Torah study is not sufficient without observance, and observance is not enough without study. And so one needs to study Torah in order that one gains the light, the understanding, then to fulfill the mitzvot, which then are the lamps. And he continued expounding um, that way. Somewhere through his discussions and his learnings with Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Chia, Rabbi Abba looks around and he sees that the host's daughter is listening very, very intently to his words. 
And so he brings in a further explanation. He goes and says, Kiner mitzvah, that the commandment is a lamp. For you, that means the Shabbat candles. Okay, that's specifically a woman's commandment. And even if a woman doesn't study Torah, if she helps her husband study, then the light of his Torah will make the lamps that she lights on Shabbos shine. And as a result, she's considered as if she fulfills the commandments completely. To his aghast, the poor host's daughter begins to weep. And she starts crying so uncontrollably that she wakes up her father and her father comes and joins them. He sees his daughter crying and he hears why she was crying because what Rabbi Abba had told her. He too begins to cry. <laughs> so Rabbi Abba says, well, it appears now, I guess, from this conversation, the implication is that your daughter's husband doesn't know Torah and that's why you're weeping. Am I correct? So the the host says, yes, Rabbi, only too true, and that's why my daughter and I are weeping. You may wonder why I allowed my daughter then to marry such an ignoramus. Well, let me tell you, he says, one day I saw my son-in-law jump down from a roof in order to hear Kaddish and respond amen with the congregation. I didn't really know him. But I was very attracted to this young man, and I was very impressed with what he did. So I arranged for him to marry my daughter, because I assumed if somebody's jumping off a roof to try get into the shul to answer amen to a Kaddish, then if he understands the importance of an amen, which really in the scale of things of the 613 mitzvot that we have to fulfill, you know, kind of like takes less importance to Shabbat and, and, and learning Torah and Kashrut, etc., etc. I assumed that he was a great, great scholar. But alas, continued the host, I now see he's a total ignoramus. He does not know even how to say Birkat Amazon. He does not know how to say um, the benching. He doesn't know how to say the Shema. I can't introduce him to my friends since when they discuss Torah, I'm pained to see how ignorant he is. So that is why my, my daughter and I are both weeping. So Rabbi Abba says to him, don't be so concerned. He will certainly have a child who will be a great sage. There's more to the story, but we have to go for a break. So let's stop here and I'll continue as soon as we get back. This is Mystical Text with Abel Kazilski. Welcome back. And we were in the middle of this discussion with Rabbi Chaya, Rabbi Abba, and Rabbi Yossi. And we're at the point where daughter and father are crying about the son-in-law being an ignoramus. Well, the weeping was way too much. And suddenly the ignorant son-in-law woke up and he comes and he joins the group. And Rabbi Abba we are told, looked him in the face and said, looking at you, I see the light of Torah. Either you yourself or a son born to you is going to illuminate the world. So the young man smiled at Rabbi Abba, and then he went and said, I want to say something. And he quotes from a verse in Job, if you want to look it up, chapter 32, verse 6, he says, 
I am young and you are very old, and I therefore hold back and dare not declare my opinion to you. That's a quote from Job. So the son-in-law continues and he says, he says, These are the words of Elihu, the son of Barachel the Buzite. Elihu, the son of Barachel the Buzite, was a Kayan. He came from the family of Yecheskel, who was a son of Buzi. Now, Elihu was obviously from a very great family. They called him a Buzite. Now, Buzite comes from the word despise. Why? Despised. Why? Because he acted so insignificantly in the presence of his elders. And as a result, he became so great that he surpassed all the other prophets. So with me, he says to Rabbi Abba, I am also very young. I took upon myself not to speak up before my elders for two months. And it was in this period that I got married. And therefore, I could not reveal my knowledge to my father-in-law. But now that you are here, I will speak in your honor. And with this, this young, seemingly ignorant man began to reveal many, many deep secrets of the Torah. And when he finished giving over his discourse, he continued and he said to the three rabbis, his father-in-law and his wife, I am from Babel. I am from Babylon. My father was Rav Safra, who died before I was born. Coming from Babel, I was afraid of the lions of the Torah who live here in the Holy Land. Therefore, when I arrived, I took upon myself not to speak words of Torah for two months. The two months are up today, and I am happy that you happen to be here and that I can lift the suspicion off everybody. Said then that Rabbi Yossi lifted his voice. He started crying and everybody started hugging and kissing this young man on the head. And Rabbi Yossi turned around and said to him, we are very fortunate that we were worthy of stopping off here and hearing such fascinating mysteries, the like of which we have never heard before. And so the young man replied, and I am very much aware of the pain that I have caused my wife and my father-in-law. They thought I was so ignorant that I didn't even know Birkat Amazon, how to bench. Things went so far that I promised that I would not touch my wife until I learned the Birkat Amazon. I did all of this so that they would not despise me completely. And since I could not speak up for two months, I had to make such conditions. Well, all's well that ends well. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Chia, Rabbi Abba, the father-in-law, the wife were beside themselves with joy. They started weeping now, not from, from sadness, but in fact from happiness. And Rabbi Yossi turned around and said to him, since you have begun, bring in the light of day. And this young man then lectured to the, these three Tanayim who were, who were great rabbis for the rest of the night, revealing the deepest secrets of of the grace after meals and in particular why the cup over which all the ideas behind why we take a cup of wine when we say Birkat Amazon. Anyway, at daybreak, Rabbi Yossi suggested that a feast be made, that everyone in the, the city should be invited. The guests were in one room and Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Chia would remain in a second room to learn with this young man. And the feast was made. The rabbi stood up. They blessed the bride as if it was her wedding day. Sheva Brochus was recited again. The man spoke at the meal, discussing then the secrets of the Sheva Brochus, the seven blessings we give to a chosen and kala. He explained to them the essence, explained to them the reason. And the next day... <laughs> 
In a complete turn of events, the city elected this young man as their rabbi and gave him full authority. With that, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Chia continued on their way, and um, so did Rabbi Abba. And when they came back to their teacher, who was none other than Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who we know is the author of the Zohar and was exceedingly steeped in the learning of Torah, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says to Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Chia, from your faces I see that during the past two days you have learned many mysteries of the Torah. Fortunate are you. And when they told him the whole story, Rabbi, Rabbi Shimon said, I recall that I once spent a day with Raf Safra, that was that young man's father. When we parted, I blessed him that he should have a son who would be like a lion in Torah, but I never saw the son. Fortunate of you that you had seen him. An incredible story, an interesting, very, very interesting story. But it's a story about a shopkeeper looking and being very impressed in the fact that this young man would jump off a roof and hurry in so that he could answer Amen and um, hear the Kaddish. So here we have the the a, a, a further point pushing the idea of Amen and certainly also giving us some idea of the importance of Kaddish. In fact, we are told that one who responds Amen has more merit than the one who, resp- who recites the Kaddish. And uh, we are told in the Gomorrah that when Jews respond Amen with total concentration, many gates of um, heaven are opened. We open up gates. We bring good to the world. And therefore, we should be worthy that the gates be opened to receive our prayers and they be, re- be released from our troubles. We're also told that if a person is careful to answer Amen, when he dies, many angels will come to accompany him and they will chant the verse, Pitchuli Sharei Tzedek, open up the gates, let the righteous nation come, um, a verse that comes from Yeshiyahu. And the converse is, is, is true and I won't continue with the converse because it's always good just to speak um, Positive. So here we've got two important, three important ideas that we need to know. One is that one should govern with a minion. That was Abraham's entire basis, that if you have the communal amplification of spirituality from a minion, that is suffice to go and save an entire city. And then, of course, we talk about... Um, the idea of answering Amen and saying Kaddish. Interestingly, by the way, that in this world, when parents are alive, they, their merit can help their children. But once a parent passes away, they cannot help them, but a child can help his parents in the afterlife as a reciprocation by reciting the Kaddish, especially during the first year after a parent's after a parent's um, um, death. And we're going to go for a little break now, and I think I'm going to manage to squeeze in one more story about the power now of saying Kaddish. This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Welcome back, and let's finish up with a story about the Kaddish again from the Gomorrah. 
um, we were speaking before the break that Kaddish brings great benefits to the dead. So this is a story about Rabbi Akiva. He was once found in a cemetery. He was in a cemetery and he saw, and this, all right, you'll pick up from the story. I won't tell you what he saw. He saw a man with a blackened face and this man was running and carrying a load of wood. So he ordered him to stand still, and Rabbi Akiva asked him, why, why are you running so fast? If you were a slave, and these are your master's orders, says Rabbi Akiva, tell me the name of your master, and I will pay him to free you. If you're running fast because you're poor and are working so hard to run for a living, then I'll find you an easier job. The stranger was not very uh, polite. He said to Rabbi Akiva, leave me alone. I cannot delay. So Rabbi Akiva said to him, well, what are you? Are you a human or are you a demon? So this entity said, I'm a dead man. And my punishment is that I must return to this world and gather wood. And the wood is then used to kindle the fires that burn me in Gehenna, in purgatory. Wow, said Rabbi Akiva, why did you deserve this? So the man said, I was a tax collector and I left the rich off lightly. I oppressed the poor, and then I did the unthinkable. I seduced a young married woman once on Yom Kippur when her husband was in the synagogue. So Rabbi Akiva says, tell me, is there anything that I can do to alleviate your punishment? Can anything take you out of the clutches of your torment that you have now? So this man replies back, yes, please, Rabbi, don't delay me any longer because... Gehenna is not a pretty place. They're really angry at me, and they're punishing me more and more. Well, is there anything that can be done? Asked Rabbi Akiva. We're told that for an instant, this man's eyes glowed with hope, and he said, perhaps, perhaps you can help me. He said, I've heard from one of my tormentors, one of these angels that give me a rough time there, that if you had a son who would lead the congregation in prayers... And Rusarat Baruchut Hashem Hamavarach blesses as God, who you are praised, your punishment will be commuted. But I do not know if I have a son. My wife was pregnant when I died, but I do not know if she had a boy or a girl. And even if it was a son, he would be an orphan without anybody to teach him how to read. No problem, said Rabbi Akiva. I will see what can be done. What's your name? What's your wife's name? And the name of the city where you lived. And the man told him, and true to his word, Rabbi Akiva made a special trip to the city, inquired where the man lived, and um, when they he, he, he asked about this man, he did not get a very nice response. May his bones rot. We never had such a wicked man in our home. His wife and son are no better. His son is walking around uncircumcised. Um, he's not even in the covenant of Abraham. He didn't really get a very nice reception about this man, his wife, or his kid. Rabbi Akiva searched him out, met the boy. He was came across as a bright, uh, lively guy, boy in his early teens. And with gentle words, he befriend, befriended him, and he convinced him to allow himself to be circumcised. And then he taught his son the Aleph Beis. And when it came to actually to teaching him Torah, he could he just he couldn't he couldn't understand it, couldn't penetrate. Rabbi Akiva was undaunted. He fasted for 40 days, and he prayed the boy would be able to absorb the wisdoms of Torah, and after much struggle, he finally succeeded. And one day, Rabbi Akiva came into the shul, into the synagogue, and he saw the boy leading the prayers, saying, Baruch Hu Es Hashem HaMevorach, and saying the Kaddish. 
Interestingly, that night the rabbi saw the father in a dream. His face was now clean and he said to the rabbi, May your portion be in Gan Eden in paradise for rescuing me from Gehenna, from purgatory. In teaching my son how to say Kaddish, you helped me very, very much. What a wow story. This again gives over the importance of coming to Shul, praying in a minion, saying Amen, and saying Kaddish. And with those empowering ideas, I bid you farewell. Let's hope you hear good news from the land of Israel today, and I will be back same time, same place next week.